hello. It's Friday, December the 10th, and this is the Andrew Pearce Show coming as ever from the Daily Mail Newsroom. Coming up. It's back. Sex in the City. What does the Daily Mail's resident expert, even addict, Liz Jones, make of it? England, they're fighting back in the test match with Australia. Plan B on COVID restrictions. It's costing the hospitality industry probably around £8 billion. But first, Geoffrey Archer on his delayed-ated birthday party at the Banqueting House. It's where Charles I was executed. And also, what does he really think of Boris Johnson? Bearing in mind he worked with two very successful Prime Ministers, Margaret Thatcher and John Major. He needs very little introduction, especially to this podcast. He's the best-selling author, Geoffrey Archer. His latest book, the fourth in the William Warwick series, has, of course, hit the top of the bestsellers. And, of course, he was a very experienced Tory politician who was close friends with both Mrs Thatcher and John Major. And he joins me now. Geoffrey, I was very privileged to be at Banqueting House on Saturday night for your delayed 80th birthday dinner. 350 people there. Of course, the first birthday party was delayed because of COVID. If that party dinner had been planned for this Saturday, I suspect you'd have been cancelling again. Well, I think we'd have had no choice, Andrew, because uh, if you've got 350 guests... I was discussing with Mary this morning over breakfast. Her opinion was a hundred of them would have said, sorry, I can't come. So uh, to use her words, we got under the wire. And I was glad because we'd spent a lot of time preparing for that party, minute by minute. And the thought of it just being thrown aside is heartbreaking. But I, I was delighted to see you there. You were one of the at least important guests, <laughs> one of the least significant people in the room. But there you are. We've been friends for a long time. <laughs> we certainly have. Now, Geoffrey, do you agree in principle with what the government is doing by extending making mask wearing compulsory in theatres, in cinemas? Um, you've got to have a you've got to have a vaccine passport if you want to go to a nightclub or to a football match. Do you think that's the right approach? Because, as you know, there is a huge Tory revolt next week. I suspect this, this, th- these changes will only get through with the support of the Labour Party. Uh, Oh, yes, it would be defeated if the Labour Party as one party or the opposition uh, to the government all voted against, even with an 80 majority. I think you're right. I think uh, the government would lose. The government will win very comfortably because some people in the Labour Party will abstain, but uh, a lot will vote for the for the decision. And uh, you can't blame them in a way. If anything goes wrong in any country, the government of the day is criticized. And uh, Boris Johnson received a lot of criticism for not going fast enough the first time round. And I suspect that's very much in his mind. He, um, this is a real test of his authority. After the revelations in the last week over the Downing Street party, nobody denies now, well, they're not really denying it was a party, they might be saying it was a gathering, but after the revelations of the last week, his authority is damaged badly, not just in Parliament, but in the country. Is it going to be more difficult, do you think, for the government to corral people into following these guidelines? Well, I think the... An old pro like you, I would think next Thursday is important, Andrew, because Boris is seen as a winner. He wins elections. I heard Theresa May speaking last week in the city. I was a guest in the city to hear her speak. And she said that was the result I would have liked, 80. But she couldn't do it because she wasn't an electioneer. She wasn't a, a, 
a person who does that side of politics well, and Boris does it better than anyone I've ever seen. So the result of next week's by-election on Thursday will be an indication as to whether he just doesn't know how to lose. He's just a winner. Uh, And so next Thursday for me will be very interesting indeed. You've been uh, a friend of Mrs Thatcher. You work closely with her. You were her deputy chairman. You were very close to John Major, who ennobled you and put you in the House of Lords. Uh, you knew David Cameron, Theresa May. What do you make of the current Prime Minister, Geoffrey, and how does he compare to previous Tory Prime Ministers? Well, he couldn't be more different to... Uh, he could not be more different to Margaret Thatcher, who loved detail. I, I actually think... It's a bad word to use, but those who really take these things seriously will understand what I'm saying. Margaret Thatcher would have reveled in the present problem. She'd have looked upon it as the Third World War and her chance to prove just how big she was. And don't forget, she read chemistry at Oxford and then she read law. What better combination could you have for someone to have the COVID problem thrust on them? And she'd have given her officials hell. And of course, they'd have realized, the officials would have realized she knew what she was talking about. It's not Boris's fault. He's not a scientist. That's not his fault. But it would have played to her strengths. So I think on one side, you have a man who isn't that fascinated by detail, but is the best electioneerer I've ever seen. And I was saying this morning to someone who asked about this, that Boris is brilliant at getting around the country. Day before yesterday, he was wearing a police uniform in Manchester on a drugs raid. Yesterday, he was in a hospital. Today, he's seeing his child. It's, he's on the front pages every single... He never stops electioneering, which he's absolutely brilliant at. And I sometimes wonder, particularly with people like you, who are what I call... You are a real bubble person. You really live in the Westminster bubble. But surely when I, you told me you'd been up recently to Manchester... So you'd be able to tell us whether when you get outside of the bubble, you and I chat about these things as if they're important. But do people on the street in Manchester think they're important? I suspect they do with this Downing Street party, Geoffrey, for the simple reason lots of people lost relatives around that time. Lots of people weren't able to visit loved ones in care homes. Grandmas couldn't hug their grandchildren. Uh, And to think that um, under the roof of the, the very building where all these rules were invented, number 10, they appeared to be not just breaking the rules, but laughing at us. uh, It's the laughing. It's the laughing. The Allegra Stratton. Yeah. Do you think um, Boris Johnson has a, has a problem with telling the truth? <laughs> uh, I refuse to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, well tried. I can read quite I a mean, lot into that. <laughs> well, well I, 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 he's an optimist by nature. He's a man who wants to get things done by nature. So he sometimes says something on the spot that he wants to believe and wants to happen. And then someone six months later points to the date, the hour, the time, and says, but you said that. So sometimes I think it's boisterous enthusiasm, which sums him up, uh, rather than accusing him of directly wanting to, to lie. Can I ask you also, because you've, you've been watching the political scene for many years, do you think Boris Johnson will still be leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister this time next year? I would I would say probably yes. Um, in, 
If the Westminster bubble had anything to do with it, no. He'll be gone pretty soon after Christmas. And the Westminster bubble will go on criticising, moaning, complaining. But we are Great Britain. And in the end, it's the whole country who will decide. Now, on the more important level of you asking that question, if, whatever it is, 50 people write to Sir Graham Brady and say, I want another election, I want a chance to vote for the leader... The fascinating thing, Andrew, is if that happens and he stands again, could he win despite all of this? If he could, then he has total control of the party. Graham Brady, of course, is chairman of the Backbench 1922 committee. Uh, Geoffrey, fascinating, always fascinating to talk to you. Um, You're you're 81 and a bit now. 81 Um, and two thirds. 81 and two-thirds. I think I counted seven ministers from Mrs. Thatcher's cabinet at your party, yes. one of whom was on my table, John yes. Gummer, Lord Lord Devon, as he is now. I yes. saw current cabinet ministers there, such as Sajid Javid. How do you keep going? Because you've got another four books to write in the William Warwick series, and you're 81 and two-thirds. I'm very lucky. I've long believed that the gift of energy is itself a talent. You can't just pop down to Marks and Spencer's and buy, I'll have a packet of energy, please. So I got lucky there. And uh, I'm married to someone who has exactly the same amount of energy, if not more. Uh, And so that helps. And and I'm, I'm frightened, to be honest with you, I'm frightened of stopping, Andrew. I think if I stop, I'll just watch afternoon television and fall off, fall off the edge. I'm going to go working. I will still be writing the day I die. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, that is Lord Archer of Western Supermare, better known as Geoffrey Archer, of course, the best-selling novelist. And if you haven't read the William Warwick series, do. It is riveting. But we've just a long time to wait, Geoffrey, for book five. I, I will comment about that when we come off the air. <laughs> Geoffrey Archer, thanks so much for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and much more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. So restrictions brought in under the government's Plan B could cost its thought the hospitality sector an astonishing £8 billion as Christmas parties are cancelled and Covid pass websites are crashing. One London restaurateur says bookings worth £42,000 were cancelled in just one week. I'm joined now by Charlie Gilks, who's from the Hospitality Group. Charlie, how is this affecting your many outlets? Oh, here we go again, Andrew, honestly. Um, you know, I think everything was looking much more positive and um, we'd had a good run um london i think for the first time had footfall higher than 2019 uh, a few weeks ago and and yet again these devastating um new measures being brought in i mean it's yeah it's affecting us in, in lots of ways um lots of cancellations uh, sadly uh, mainly from, from from corporates um but also you know i think the thing we are most scared of is 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 the sort of the dent and consumer confidence and the fact that the work from home mandate, you know, we, we've got 13 outlets all in central London and we rely on that ecosystem of office workers. And without them there, it's very worrying indeed. I, I was going to ask you about your bookings, but I, you can just feel anecdotally, Charlie, wandering around central London that it's much quieter already. It really is. I mean, I was out and about two weeks ago and I couldn't get a cab and I was out and about last night and there was a whole uh, sort of road of, of cabs with a with yellow light on. And it just, you know, that was sort of anecdotally showed you. But yes, a lot quieter already. And I think, I think what people perhaps don't understand is how crucial these Christmas weeks are. You know, 
you know, the hospitality groups can literally do 30 to 40 percent of their annual profit in four weeks. And that's tides them over in a quieter times expected in January, February. So this, you know, we didn't get a Christmas last year. We're all we're sort of hoping that this was going to be a good one and just couldn't have come at a worse time. Who's the worst part for you? Is it the fact that people have to show vaccine passports if they go to a nightclub or the idea that they may have to wear masks? What is, what is killing your biz, your trade at the moment? I, th- I think for, for us at the moment, it's just consumer confidence, really. Um, yes, obviously, vaccine passports aren't ideal. Um, but I think actually the biggest damage for us as, a, as an inner city operator is the work from home mandate. That's thing which will which will inflict the most damage um, we just need people in the offices you know groups who, who go out for drinks before and after being at work um, and you know and people commuting in um, but if they're staying at home that's going to be a huge loss of revenue for us you've got 13 outlets charlie are, are you worried that you that when we emerge from this latest uh, mini lockdown that you won't have as many I mean, it's a it's a constant it's a constant worry, and you know it's, this is nearly two years on, and I've really thought we've got out of this uh, continual cycle of anxiety. Um, but I think you know what we really need now is you know it's disappointing to see the chancellor saying there'll be no more uh, support at all, and you know all we really want to do is be able to trade. But but actually, when you look at some of the support that's been there, you know you, you, they get the headline. There was a the big headline, you know, 50% business rates payable, but then you get the small print a couple of weeks later, which shows that actually. And that's at a cap of 110,000. So for us, it means 50% rates um, for a couple of sites and all the others are paying full rates. Um, and that, you know, that assumed that we were back trading normally. But I think, you know, we're going to have to really look at this cliff edge in April when we go back to full rates, uh, VAT returns to 20%. And that's a time I'm, I'm really, really worried for the sector. Um, and I think the Chancellor is going to have to reconsider the measures and extend them slightly longer to get us back fully on our feet. Are you going to have to lay off any staff before Christmas, Charlie? I've no, I, I don't think we're planning to do that. I mean, you know, staffing is is already very, very difficult for us. So, you know, we 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 very much hope we won't we won't have to do that. But um, you know, I think consumers there are still some consumers out there at the moment. But I think you know we are increasingly worried about the rumored Plan C now, and you know from from prior memory. It starts with a with, with the public being softened up with a few measures and quite rapidly, um, you know, they uh, one follows the other, which we learn about um, via a leak on Twitter the night before. Um, so I really hope that this is just buying some time. I, I actually feel increasingly confident that the, 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 the data coming out of South Africa is better than originally feared and we can get boosters in arms and, and actually we can we can revert to the, the course we're on before. So that's Charlie Gilkes, who's founder and director of the Hospitality Group, which operates 13 outlets in central London. Thanks for joining us. An Ofsted report illustrates the grim effect the pandemic has had on children in England in the last 18 months, two years. Nearly every child in the country, according to the Ofsted, has fallen behind in their education. Loneliness, boredom and misery have also become endemic. Peter Lang is a former head teacher and he's an education consultant and he joins me now. Peter, I guess this Ofsted report does comes as no surprise to you. No, uh, we have over the months spoken about the importance of keeping education as a number one priority really coming out of the pandemic and we don't even know quite whether we're out of the pandemic as yet but it is stark when you read it. Um, it's not surprising no but as you just said, there nearly all children in England have fallen behind. 
Um, some have even regressed in academic and social skills, and we know that. And um, the um, the issue to do with the well-being and welfare of young people endemic, that is a stark uh, and a very concerning a judgment by Amanda Spielman in the Ofsted annual report. Mm. This is a sober reading, isn't it? If Because we know the government is looking at all sorts of potential restrictions which may or may not come into force because of the new variant of COVID, Peter. Uh, but the very yeah. idea that they could even contemplate p- uh, shutting down schools again, this would surely be uh, food for thought. No, and uh, I mean, I think everybody wants to maintain and keep schools open, but only if they are safe. This is the worry. I mean, actually, one of the statistics that has gone up again in the last few weeks is the absentee rate in schools. And again, you've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, Children not being in school, teachers not being in school, and therefore making it very difficult for school leaders to operate their schools. Um, and the report talks about this hokey-cokey business of in and out of school, and of course we don't want to have that, but I think what we need to do is we need to muster all the support we can give to hard-working school leaders and teachers who have been working flat out throughout the pandemic uh, to uh, uh, educate their children, and this report doesn't criticise teachers, but it's to put all that effort and energy into uh, keeping schools open. And one of the things I think people have talked about is ventilation, isn't it, of schools. And yeah, I don't think that yeah. has been done on that. Some simple uh, sort of mechanistic approaches. But yes, uh, it is a worry. And I think that we need to really have a, a very close look at how we move forward and how Ofsted might even operate in the future. Because uh, what exactly are we going to be measuring? Yeah. And is there any way, Peter, the the lost months, if you want to call it that, or the lost year even, um, can, can they ever get it back, these youngsters? Well, I'd like to be optimistic and say they can, but I'd like to be realistic and say that um, you only get one education. And um, they've had a terrible time, young people, for the last couple of years. And as the report said, it's affected all young people across the country, some disproportionately much more special educational needs children, for example, are are pointed out in this report. And the other thing, Andrew, is a lot of young people, their parents have taken them out of schools and people don't quite know where they've gone. Um, There's an absentee, there's a sort of hidden percentage there. But I think that we're optimistic that we can, but we're going to have to adjust the way in which we inspect schools, I mean, young people haven't had a proper exam system for two no, years, and they might I not know. even have one. They might not even have one again this year, and that doesn't mean that we are not preparing young people for the future. But we need to be realistic about how we're judging them and yeah. how we're judging the schools. There was also just finally, Peter. You'll have seen that report. You've alluded to it that a hundred thousand children called—they've been called the ghost children—have simply disappeared from the school system. Yes. Robert Halfen has, has, has mentioned this, as other politicians have, all different spectrums, and it is a concern about where they've gone, how you track them down. These hard-to-reach families that uh, many schools worked with, I did as a, as a head teacher, and um, you can gain enormous uh, benefit working with them. But where have they gone? And this is a big concern, and I think as we come out of the pandemic, these are going to have to be some of the priorities, not necessarily 
inspecting schools ad finitum, but actually supporting schools in a way that Ofsted has done in the last year, actually. It's, it's changed its remit, but to change it again uh, to support schools as they grapple with these very, very uh, challenging circumstances. But I'm sure people can do that. And we know that young people are resilient and they want to learn, but we owe it to them to give them a better chance than they're getting at the moment. You're absolutely right about that, as ever. That's uh, Peter Lang, former head teacher and education consultant. Thanks for joining us. Visit malplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pearce Show for free, in full, along with our other podcasts and video series. Remember to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. Okay, so it's that part of the programme when we talk matters sport. Tim Nichols is here, the Deputy Sports Editor of the Daily Mail. How are things down under, Tim? Looking any better? They are. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it feels uh, refreshing to say that after a chastening, calamitous first two days at the Gabba for England. But uh, England fans will have woken up tonight to some good news. Uh, the Aussies moved from 343 for 7 to 425 all out, which after England's pitiful first innings total looks like far too many. It probably still is. Burns and Hamid, the openers, fell fairly early. But um, Captain Joe Root and Milan... They put on 159 between them. So England are actually only 58 behind the Aussies total now. But they're going to need tonight, uh, overnight, those two are going to need to both get their tons. It would be Root's first ton in Australia, which would be, would be fantastic for him after a brilliant year that he's had. But England really need to be getting, you know, 200 clear at least to, to give themselves a chance. But to be honest, this is this the fact that they've even given themselves this chance and, and put themselves into this position, it almost certainly still going to lose this first test, but it gives them a reason to believe, a reason to hope, a little bit of optimism going into next week's day-night test at Adelaide, where Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad will certainly, well, almost certainly be rec- uh, restored to the team. Um, so things are looking a bit better. I suspect we're still, England are still heading for defeat, Andrew, but it may not be quite as crushing as we thought. Very good news. Now, the big, big sporting event of the weekend, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, it's perfectly poised, isn't it, between uh, Lewis Hamilton and Verstappen. Uh, are they they're level points, aren't they, at the moment in, in the table? So they whoever are, wins after, is the champ. That's exactly right, Andrew. We, you know, after all the twists and turns, literally, uh, of the last few months, uh, it's been an incredible um, title championship. Uh, they're neck and neck, as you say, um, level on points. It's going to be. It's a tough one to call. You know, Lewis has won the last three races. He's got the momentum, um, and and has obviously won seven world titles. And that's the, that's the other aspect of all this. Max Verstappen has never won the world title. Lewis Hamilton has won seven. If he wins on Sunday, he will surpass uh, Michael Schumacher's record of seven, which they currently equal on at the moment. Move to eight, which would be quite incredible and then you know then you've got to start asking questions like is he the greatest british sportsman of all time but before that there's a there's a huge race um it, you know qualifying is going to be very interesting in practice today uh verstappen was fastest lewis uh, was third in in practice um but it's going to be it's going to be fascinating basically whoever finishes ahead in the race will win the title um and uh you know the only way that things could get a little bit uh, lively as if uh is if there's a crash and obviously yeah. then, you know there'll be accusations and all sorts and if there is a crash and there's no penalty points deducted or anything else Max Verstappen will win the world title uh, because he has won nine races this season compared to Hamilton's eight 
Um, so, you know, that's the big question. Is there going to be a crash? Is he going to accidentally bump him off the course? Um, it's happened before. We've seen it with Schumacher. We've seen it many times before. So it, it's it's going to be fascinating. It's, it wouldn't be very sportsmanlike, Tim, would it, for Verstappen to try and nudge his rival off off no, the racetrack? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and, but, but at the same business time... It's business. It's business and, and it, you know... It's, his glory on the line. I don't don't think people, too many of certainly of Schumacher's fans, think his legacy is tainted. Given he did something similar uh, when he was in his pomp, I think it's all about getting the win. But yeah, look, for, from from most people's point of view, that's no way to win it. Uh, and I'm sure Verstappen will want to win it fair and square, um, you know, and, and overcome Hamilton, who has been such a fantastic driver in the sport for for a long time now. But it's it's gonna it, it's gonna be a fantastic uh, race, and I've ne- you know there's never been a, a, a finale to an F1 season like it. Level on points going into the last race, two great drivers, two great cars. It's going to be a brilliant race. Sounds it, Tim. Um, uh, and of course, the Daily Mail will have full coverage of that uh, on the day and the day after. Um, it, what's your hunch, Tim? Who's going to be the world champ? Hamilton. Right. Don't, okay. Don't, don't quote me on that, but no, I, but we, I, would, we, I would go with Hamilton. Well, we'd like, we always like British winners, so uh, let's we see do. what happens. That's Tim Nichols, who's Deputy Sports Editor at the Daily Mail. Thanks for joining us. Sex in the City, back after almost 20 years. What did the Sex in the City addict Liz Jones, Mail on Sunday columnist extraordinaire, make of it? She watched it. She was hooked last time. Are you hooked again, Liz? Well, it was a bit of a rocky start, although it was lovely to see them and the the outfits are just as incredible as always and they all look amazing. I think I wrote in the Daily Mail um, this morning that Sarah Jessica Parker just looks radiant, absolutely radiant. And you know she hasn't had any work done to her face. I felt Kristen, um, who plays Charlotte, looked a little bit Courtney Cox around the gills. But she was the only one. Miranda's aged beautifully. She's got silver hair. So that was all great, seeing women in their late 50s on telly looking amazing. Um, But the acting was a little bit wooden. I didn't think some of the jokes were as good as the first um, time around. But then, bam, it was the end of the first episode, if you haven't seen it, is incredible. And I was in shock. I was in tears, people were messaging me, and immediately you were back in the game. And what was so lovely about it is not that it's just addictive and it's lovely clothes and it's older women. Those women, and I'm sure they have for many people, have got me through the worst times of my life because I would rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it. And Carrie got me through. Because it's comedy, but also they dealt with so many issues. They dealt with poverty. They dealt with Alzheimer's in your mother-in-law. They dealt with breast cancer. They dealt with um, kinky sex. They dealt with being cheated on. They dealt with divorce. They dealt with IVF, infertility, adoption. People, just because it's a women's program, people think they're all snooty and they think, oh, it's just girly and gossipy. It's not girly and gossipy. It's real, and I'm just so happy to have my best friends back in my life. What's it like minus Kim Cattrall's Samantha? Because she's gone to live in London and isn't returning yeah. the other girls' calls. Is it? Is is she badly? Is she sorely missed? She is missed because she's a very different character. Um, she's very strong. She's very witty. 
um, she's very powerful. Um, and so she, we do miss her, and you can tell the girls miss her as well in the programme. But that's what happens sometimes with your friends. You know, I miss my gay best friend who, who ghosted me. That, that is kind of what happens in life, and you do grieve for them. So we are grieving for her a little bit. But there is a moment at the end of the first episode where she sends Carrie a card, and at that moment, I literally, my throat swelled up because I was crying so much. Oh my word! I love the I love the little uh, vignette which shows that we are twenty years on, Liz. Where you describe how Miranda's husband Steve carefully removes his hearing aid. It's going to come to <laughs> us all, you know. It comes to us all. <laughs> That's what I do. I take if I if someone's boring or the you know, I take my hearing out aid out. It's fantastic. So I love those little touches. I think Miranda started drinking as well because she carries a bottle of wine in her handbag. So there's all those little details of growing older and you know life getting to us and also she needs to rush to the loo every five seconds it happens to all of us yeah so I i'm love afraid that it does yeah about the program i love yeah. it honestly now we won't give away this twist that punched you in the solar plexus but it really is a dramatic twist isn't it it's absolutely they kept it completely under wraps they were very 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 clever about it yeah so don't read my piece in the mail until you've watched episode one yeah, I know what I know what happens. But you know, I've got a confession to make, Liz. I've never watched it. What sort of gay man am I? Well, I think you need to educate yourself really and go back to episode one and treat yourself over Christmas because you will laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And all the gay male characters in it are absolutely fantastic. They're so funny and witty and clever. Um, I, I'm sure you'll love it. Um, so you're going to be glued to the next episode? Yes, I've already watched the first two twice. You really? You really are an addict, aren't you? I am. Um, I love them. I love them. That's Liz Jones. There is a spoiler alert. If you don't want to know what happens, my suggestion is only read halfway through a fabulous piece today and then read it all after you've seen the first episode. But um, it is back, Sex in the City, and the reviews are pretty good. And our very own Liz Jones, she loves it. <laughs> That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm, you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'll be back on Monday. Have yourselves a great weekend and good night. Good night.